How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another Driven 2 podcast in the What Drives You series. Now, I say this every time and I can't help myself. We have a very special guest on today. Uh, his name is Mike Dominic. Everyone, welcome Mike Dominic. Hi, everyone. Um, so him and I actually barely know each other. We met at a open house. Uh, it was the Lowered Lifestyle and uh, Attacking the Clock Racing open house. Uh, I, what, about a month ago at this point? Yeah. And uh, he pulled up in his McLaren, gorgeous car, super approachable guy. We had a good conversation. And uh, long story short, you know, I said, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And here we are. Let's get right into it in the sense of start from your childhood, where you were born and raised, uh, and what what that childhood looked like. So as a child, uh, let's see, I was born in Boynton Beach, Florida. Um, My parents were actually on vacation in the area. Um, And then... Um, when I was a toddler till I was five, I lived in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, where my dad was actually getting his uh, chiropractic degree. I remember that because I went to the graduation for it. And then after that, we moved uh, down to uh, Coral Springs, which is like the suburb of Fort Lauderdale. I grew up there. And then um, let's see, when I was a teenager, my parents had divorced. And so I actually uh, ended up moving up to Leesburg, Florida with my dad, um, which was a good opportunity in the sense of, um, I was a teenager. I was, it was a lot less competitive to get like a job and I really wanted a job. So I was able to go be a bag boy at Winn-Dixie and, you know, go to school and still do what I needed to do. And, uh, yeah, that was my childhood. Okay. So Winn-Dixie humble beginnings. Oh yeah. It was, a. Uh, the Winn-Dixie I worked in was in the ghetto, which I didn't really know, but I understood after like the first week because my first in the first week there was uh, a lady who had Grand Theft Auto. They robbed her in the parking lot, oh, wow. and when they tried to steal the car, they crashed it into one of those like pole things where you or put the car like a concrete block, uh-huh. and then a chase ensued, and they had a helicopter. <laughs> This is literally like my second day on the job and the manager chased the guy into a field and this lady was like run over by her own car. And then probably two days after that, um, some like babies came in that were like two, three years old and they were stealing food from the, um, like the refrigerator aisle. And basically the mom was like in a house doing crack cocaine. So yeah, that was my uh, first week at Winn-Dixie. And now when you were uh, growing up, what did your parents do job wise so um my dad actually um when my parents divorced when i was like six okay so my dad went back to med school he actually still maintained his chiropractic license which was a unique thing for him it was a a tool or a weapon if anything and my mom my mom is actually uh she's of puerto rican descent she's a first generation immigrant first of her family to go to college and she ended up going to cornell oh wow yeah so Good for her. Yes. Yes. Good job, mom. <laughs> yeah. So she's uh, she's still to this day actually works. She is a CFO for an insurance company down in Miami, and she can retire anytime. But she says she's doing it for the grandbabies. So I just say, okay, mom, cool, do what you got to do. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. And so uh, then, what were your high school years like going into that? High school was cool. I played sports. I always played sports. I had um. South Florida, you know, there's a lot of kids in my neighborhood, so we always played uh, baseball, basketball, and football. Football is primarily my thing from the time I was in middle school, so I actually played high school football. Um, I was going through, like, weird growth spurts, so, like, when I was 14, I was bigger than everybody. I was, like, the height I am now, so they made me, like, a linebacker, which 
wasn't really a good fit for me. Then everyone kind of caught up to me, so I became a, a corner. Okay. Slash safety. I'm more a corner than anything. Um, and I was I was a good fit there. Linebacker is a very tough position. Like it's really like the brain of the defense because you're kind of watching everything. And I was more of a stay here, do this <laughs> kind of guy. So yeah, I played sports. And when I moved up here, um, they didn't really have a football team per se at the school I went to. So um, we would play. But like at that point, I was more focused on like just getting a job and being hanging out with my friends. Because mm-hmm. one thing when I moved up here. Um, I was the youngest of my friends, so I had one friend who went to UCF and one friend who went to UF, so what I could do when I wasn't working is visit them on the weekends and hang out with my cool college friends, so I have to do that. Nice, okay, and so at that age, were you set on a path you wanted to take career-wise? Did you have life figured out already? Did you figure out what you wanted to do? Definitely not. Okay. I would say things in things can affect you more than others. And for me, I would say something that affected me, which is for some of you watching this, this probably, you were probably only alive when this happened. I was a senior in high school and September 11th happened. I saw that. I was in elementary school. I think fourth or fifth grade. So I was literally watching, we were at a small private school. So we literally got pulled into the cafeteria and watching this on TV. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like a movie. Like this is insane. Like, is this really happening? So, um, I, I was working at that point already. And, um, I actually, even back then I was in the cars. So I had a subwoofer. I had two twelves in my, uh, little, uh, I had a rare car, Gallant VR4. Uh, Mitsubishi Gallant VR4. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, So it's got the four G six, three all wheel drive. So that was my hand me down, which had a lot of issues, but I still love the car. But uh, I had some subs in the trunk, and uh, a recruiter came up to me and accused me of uh, stealing my own amps, which is just a ploy to get me to go talk to him. So I did. And apparently I'm not clever. Like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, take this test on this computer. I'm like, okay, sure. So I just click a bunch of buttons. This area, apparently, people, the school system isn't the best. So I was, like, better than average, I guess. So they kind of, like, were you know, shitting themselves. So I was just like, okay, like, I don't know what this means. I'm still 17. Like, I can't really do anything. I mean, yeah, I think I just turned 17. They're like, oh, well, you know, we'll talk to your parents and all that. And, um, you know, and I, at the time though, I, I thought of, cause I still was athletic and I still played sports. I thought maybe potentially walking on somewhere, or at least trying to get in either. I don't think I had a shot at UF, but like UCF was more obtainable at the time, but that didn't really come to be so when I graduated I thought well I could do the military thing because I don't necessarily know what what I want to do yet so um that's kind of where I was at with that and my dad was 50 50 on it he's like well he's like if you don't want to go to college or aren't ready yet you know military is a great option see the world figure out what you're doing and so prior to that encounter you had never thought about potentially going that route no I just saw the commercials on tv about marines and I'm like chess boards dragon slayers I'm like okay, whatever. Like I never, the, the, the path of the military never crossed my mind. Like I just saw the commercial as you kind of just in one ear out the other. So, I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't think it was an option for me. Isn't that crazy? I always find how like in life, literally one instance being in one place at a specific time can change the whole trajectory or path, right? If this guy had never came up to you and approached you because of your car, uh, you would have never joined the military. so Or odds are you probably wouldn't have joined yeah. the military. I don't know what would have happened. It was, yeah. I think it was the right choice, though. It was definitely. So how long uh, were you, did you serve then? Yep. I did four years. 
I was uh, in 1st Marine Division, uh, 1st Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. I did uh, two uh, deployments. Um, one was a straight tour over to Iraq via plane. I was there for the initial invasion, which I think we're coming up actually on the 20-year anniversary of that. I think it's either tomorrow or today. It's like March 13th. So I was there for that. Um, I served under General Mattis, um, Regiment Combat Team 5. And then when I came back, um, I was back for about 45 days. And because I was one of the last ones to deploy from my unit to Iraq, I got sent right back over on a nine-month deployment. Um, normally, there's something called a Marine Expeditionary Unit, which is a six-month deployment on a boat. You go with the Navy. They take you around different places. Well, because the war had happened, they changed um, kind of the format of this, and they called it the Expeditionary Strike Group. And we were, like, the first one. So it was like a mu pumped up on steroids, like more ships, more submarines, uh, like a show of force, as they said. Okay. So our deployment ended up being nine months long, and we ended up going to, like, four continents. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not just, like, complaining about that because it was pretty cool. I got to go to a bunch of places. A lot of people, one, you can't even can't even get into as a civilian. So it's, you know, interesting from that standpoint. And you, you get to see the world in different cultures. So it definitely opened my eyes to what's beyond our backyard. Did you ever get injured? Uh... Thankfully, no. I mean, we obviously, you know, being in a front line. So my unit is a frontline mechanized infantry unit. The symbol we have is literally an arrowhead for tip of the spear because we are legitimately a frontline infantry unit. So, I mean, was there combat? Did we carry out combat missions? Did we capture POWs? Did we seize weapons caches? We, we did all that stuff. We did uh, roadside checks, clear buildings. You know, we did whatever the mission called for. Yeah. So um, we did that. No one on my team got injured, but there were people with us or attached to us who did get hurt. So I think, though, for my unit, it was a testament to who was in command and how well we worked together because a lot of us, um, some of the people I went on my second deployment with, they were actually in Afghanistan when September 11th happened. They were in Australia at a club drinking, then two weeks later they're getting flown into Afghanistan. So they had kind of already been there and understood it. So I had some, you know, as I say, heavy hitters with me at that point. So we operated really well. So, um, you know, we all came back, thankfully. And then after, so you served four years, after you decide, okay, that that's it. I mean, I don't I actually don't know how that works. Did you decide like, okay, that's enough? Or then after four years, you were out naturally or? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was a good, I'll say this. I was a good Marine. I had a bunch of awards, different stuff. I actually made it to the rank of E5, which at the time, less than like 20% of people do in their first four years. Um, and I was offered reenlistment bonuses. They offered me to go MSG, which is that stands for Marine Security Guard. Those are the people who stand in front of the embassy. Uh, someone had set up for me to meet with them. I I was set on going to college. And actually, truthfully, I wanted to start a family. And I understood um, that being in that environment is not conducive to starting a family. Like, I saw a lot of families broken up oh, over I'm deployments. Sure. Yeah. So for me, it was like, you know, despite the fact I'm good at this, like, and you know, it, it's okay. My thoughts were, I already been to hell and back twice. Like, I don't need to do that again. Yeah. So, like, for me, it was just a no-brainer. Like, I wanted to get out as soon as I could. So, so you were, what, 22 when you got out? I actually out? was 21. So, yeah, I joined all 17. So, yeah, I got out. Um, Because another thing, too, is because I deployed so much. I had so much leave saved up. I literally got out, like, 75 days before my time was actually up. Anyways, you could do what's called sell back your leave or use it. I'm like, I'm not selling it back. I'm going to use it. So I went back here and party with my friends pretty much for like 
two months until I started college back in Southern California. That's wild. But it, I mean, think about it. 21, most people are still completely just fresh out of high school, partying, trying to figure out what route they're taking. You had already done four years in the military and then on to the next stage of your life at that point. So, I mean, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I tell people this too. Like, I think it, you know, I would never say my four years was a waste. Like, I have some awesome life experience. I have lifelong friends from it. Um, I still talk to to this day. Um, I would say it was a great stepping stone for me in the sense of it didn't tell me exactly what I wanted to do, but it helped me understand what I didn't want to do. Yeah. And I think that's important, you know, to understand like, hey, this maybe not want to do this. Yeah. That kind of checked off a couple boxes where I'm like, did this, did this. Okay. On to the next. Okay, so then you decide you want to go to college for? Um, At the time, I actually didn't really know. So when I got out, I got a job working for the VA. I was working at the college, helping process GI Bill, all that kind of stuff. And I was just taking courses. And um, I got a C in a biology course. And I was like, how, why? I'm like, oh, this sucks. It's challenging. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm one of these people, like if I have a weakness, like for example, like I, I'm not the best runner. I run a lot more to make it better. So that's how I looked at the biology chemistry thing was like, okay, this is hard. Let me go ahead and um, continue taking biology courses. So that's what I did. And I ended up really finding it fascinating. And that's kind of when I decided I'm going to be a, a biology major. So, you know, chemistry, biology, genetics, ecology, all that stuff, animal physiology, human physiology, all that stuff, you know, you got to take. So, And you went to UCF, you said, for this? No. I w- so I started at um, Community College, Palomar College. Shout out Palomar Comets. <laughs> <laughs> and then I transferred to Cal State San Marcos, um, oh, which is okay. home of the Tukut Cougars. <laughs> Go Cougars. <laughs> That's, that, that was my high school, actually. It was the University Cougars. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah. So for people who don't know, too, because every state's different, like Florida, we really only have like five state schools. It's like FSU, UCF, USF, FAU, those type of like state universities. California has a whole crap ton. There's the CSU system, which is like California State University, insert a city, uh, city. Long Beach, uh, San Marcos, San Diego State University is part of that, Um, you know, San Francisco State. Um, Dominguez Hills, they have like 25 of them. And then you also have the UC system, UC Irvine, UC Davis, um, you know, UC San Diego. So they have those are the private colleges. Um, well, they're not private. The the best way I could explain it, it's kind of like, um, locally here. If you went to FSU, that's more known as the party school, kind of like the state school. And if you go to UF, that's more the scholastic education school. So the UC system would be the nicer educated universities and the state schools are more your party schools i guess or like not as well known but i would still argue like i had outstanding professors like the top of my department was a harvard grad in animal physiology and i had a genetics professor who was the first to graduate with a doctorate in genetics and i mentioned before my one professor worked on the vaccine for magic johnson yeah as well so i mean i had a lot of heavy hitters teaching us at you know this state school so we still had an outstanding staff to teach us so how long then did you attend college uh what was it like five and a half years total so um from 2007 to like beginning of 2013 just about and at that point you had gotten your master's degree um or? bachelor's in uh, biology okay yeah i think it's bachelor's of applied science 
uh, biology. Yeah, general biology. Okay. And uh, then from there, you... From there, um, I so I was working at Home Depot. Um, I was actually doing a couple different jobs. I was a bouncer at a bar and at night because and, I just kept showing up. And they're like, hey, you want a job? I'm like, sure. So I was doing that. And then I was working at Home Depot as a cashier slash like front-end supervisor. And then... Um, or head cashier, rather. And then... I had an opportunity to work at like a lab after I graduated, uh, but the pay wasn't that great. And I could actually work at Home Depot as much as I wanted because they always had people calling out. And I, I was really big into exercising, like doing my CrossFit thing and running on the beach. So I chose to stay with Home Depot and just work six months, an additional six months there until I came back here. So I was literally like, you know, sometimes I'd be running on the beach and they'd call me and be like, hey, we had someone call. I'm like, I'll be in an hour. So, and I could kind of do what I want. My hours were kind of all over the place, but it was cool because some nights I'd go party, some nights I didn't. I had no responsibility though. So I just basically partied in San Diego for six months because I could, and I knew I was leaving. So it didn't really matter. That's a good place to party. Not that I'd really know. (laughs) Although I did live there, I I never really partied there, but everyone says it's incredible. Oh yeah. You could get into a bunch of trouble there between, you know, ocean beach. I was going to ask if you went, yeah. Carlsbad, you know, Encinitas all over. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely good time. Uh, okay. So then let's move forward from there. What, what happens next? So I came back because I was going to, at that point, I was going to do something in the medical field. I actually, um, my dad was a doctor and he he was very good. I knew that. So I figured I could train under him. So I came back and I was, um, I came back December, um, of 2013. Yeah. And then uh, basically January 1st, hit the ground running, started working for my dad. I was basically like training under his doctors and him as well. I was probably working close to 50 hours a week, and he was paying me like 400 bucks a week. (laughs) Was that working out of this building? I worked out of this building, and I worked out of the Villages one, and I helped him at the time because he opened Mount Dora in 2014. I helped him get that together too, and I was – my dad was a jack-of-all-trades, so I was similar. I was the janitor – I was the housekeeper. I was the maintenance guy. I was, you know, filled in our front staff. One thing my dad was big on was cross training. So it helps me today because there's not a job in the building I can't do besides be a doctor. Like I can run EKGs. I could draw blood from patients. I can, you know, you know, uh, check your insurance. I could get you checked in the system. I could tell you how much your copay is. Um, you know, I could change out light bulbs. <laughs> I feel like that's one common thing I've I've heard across anyone that runs successful businesses is that they know the ins and outs of every single position within that business, right? So whether it be the janitorial services or a front desk or the, the back of the house or, or whatever it is, they've done every single job. Because that's the only way to really know how to teach someone to do that job properly. You know, I feel like sometimes people's egos might get in the way and they're like, oh, no, I'm too good to do that. But how can you know what that job looks like done properly if you've not even done it yourself before? Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I do it for a couple of reasons, too. I would say, like, one is... um, I don't, I like to save money where I can. So if I don't have to spend 150 or $200 to have some guy replace a ballast because a light fixture goes out and I can right. do it myself, right. I'd rather do it. Sometimes, I mean, I still call people in because I just can't be everywhere. But if I can do it myself, I will do it to save money. And also, too, one thing is it sets a tone kind of on a side note, not to be gross, but 
uh, my staff came to me and said, Michael, there's like someone like shit on the ground in the bathroom. I'm like, that's disgusting. And I didn't even think twice. I literally went over, got gloves, cleaned it up, and it was done. And the other reason to do it, it sets a tone because basically it's saying, hey, look, if the boss is willing to clean up shit, everyone ranked below it is as right, well. Right, so right. I do it for a couple of reasons. But, yeah, I don't um, – one thing in my position I like is um, I will tackle the other things because that's not necessarily in other people's job descriptions. And if they're hired to be an x-ray tech, a doctor, whatever, let them go do that. I will handle the other stuff. So that's part of why I do that. So too. then, okay, so you work for your dad for, for – how long at that point? Oh, I, I did like 60,000 clinical hours because I just, unfortunately, he kind of pimped me out. You know, when you're, <laughs> when you're, I had my now wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time who I met literally like two months before I left San Diego and she was living in Chicago. So it was like this. How long. did you guys meet? She was on vacation visiting a friend because, you nice. know, everyone comes to San Diego. So, and she met me like after I was like partying with like, I was known as a on my tear man so, so what you're raging in ocean beach and she uh, happened to be out and about like well that time i literally had just come like probably a few days earlier from like hung over in pacific yeah ocean beach and yeah. then um literally like i'm eating a burrito and i just meet her and we kind of like hit it off it wasn't like instant like love at first but we were definitely were talking and cool yeah. and then like you know from there she went back home and um we continued talking through like snapchat yes i had snapchat like 10 years ago so <laughs> But I don't have it anymore. But yeah, um, so I came back here though, and I'm working and trying to manage this long distance relationship with my wife, who was in Illinois at the time. And uh, I, I just got kind of, for better or worse, like I had done everything I could possibly do here, and I just got, I got really sick of patient care. Like you know, when you're checking in a patient and they have 20 medications, and you ask them what they're taking the medication for, and they go. I don't know. It's because my doctor told me it's really demoralizing. Yeah. And that's the difference between, I think me and my dad, my dad didn't judge people. I'm, I'm kind of petty. I judge you. Like I, I do. Sorry. But like I, I take At health. Least you're honest yeah, about it. I, I take health seriously. And if you can't take your health seriously, I don't want you as a patient. Like, yeah. and so for me, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore, but I had my degrees. So at that point I decided to transition to becoming a healthcare recruiter, uh, because I, I had a good understanding of healthcare and I wanted Basically, I, I wanted money so I could actually have a legitimate relationship with my wife because you need some kind of career or income coming in, you know, to be able to facilitate a family. Was she close in age to you or? Oh, yeah. She's two years younger than me. Um, when I met her, she was actually just finishing her master's degree in teaching. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, she's an excellent teacher. She, since, uh, she started out at a local public school here in middle school, and now she's a middle school science teacher at a charter school and fits in really well, and she gets awards, and she's uh, takes her job very seriously, and is passionate about teaching. That's awesome. Um, okay, so when did uh, I want to push forward even more now? Okay, when did things start to take off for you in terms of working within the medical field? It's, uh, so one thing for me is I've never had. Um, a bunch of credit card debt or different stuff. As a healthcare recruiter, I did fairly well. I was able to, you know, um, when I was doing that, we went from what we call, it's like a spread, your weekly income. We went from a set amount of money within like probably the first year tripling that or damn near tripling that. So just because me and the team worked really well, so that helped boost my income. I was able to like finish out my Corolla and then like, uh, 
I got an E86, by the way. Sweet car. Yeah. <laughs> so. Are we going to be uh, taking a look at that in the other video, or is it not finished uh, yet? It's not finished okay. yet. It will be. I got I got a couple that are all out right now. You know, oh, car okay. life, they're always, like, in a shop or something, but it's because I'm rebuilding them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was doing well then. I never took on a bunch of debt or anything crazy, so that let, helped. Let me ask, out of curiosity, how much money were you making a year working uh, – or being in the military, essentially. Oh, God. It was so bad. <laughs> I'm curious. I'd probably have to say at the peak, maybe thirty-five grand, Maybe. That's it? Yeah. Keep in mind. Putting though, your life on the line? Oh, yeah. Keep in mind, too. Um, it'd have been a little more. I don't think That's so, though. That's rough. Um, you have no overhead, though. Your food's paid for. You live on base. Like, if you get married, you could get more money and live out in base, but... That's... But 35K... Yeah. Uh, I don't know how the taxes work with that. That's like... Taxes included? I think that's taxes, yeah. I've, at the, I'd say at the end of the day, take home, it was probably like 35 maybe, because you don't have that many taxes when you're in the military because yeah, it's government stuff. So, I mean, that's I have to, still, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, but I'd say this coming from a kid who just worked at a grocery store, kind of whatever, like, yes, my parents were successful, but they didn't, you know, they worked for everything they had. Sure. So I think that transitioned to me. That's why, like, I wanted a job when I was like 15, 16, and kept working as much as I could because I liked money. Like, yeah. in the sense of having the freedom to, like, you know, fill up gas in my car, go visit my buddies at college, kind of not bother my parents. I like that independence. Well, and if you're not, that's true. If you're not spending it, I, I guess, is it reasonable to say that in those four years you were able to save up, what, about a hundred grand or? Oh, yeah, take? probably yeah. a lot. I mean, because I that's built good. a, I mean, you know, one thing to talk about when you deploy to these uh, places like Iraq and stuff, you get all this stuff. It's like eminent danger pay, jump pay, hazard pay. They're like multipliers, if you will. Yeah. So at that point, I was probably making more than the like 35 grand. Keep in mind, too, you're not spending any of it. There's no ATM in Baghdad. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the money's just compiling in your thing when you're on the ground. You know, they're prov providing supplies and your food and everything else you need. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that. nice. And then you're, you're, uh, you said your dad was paying you around how much? Like 400 a week. 400 a week. Okay. So it was horrible. <laughs> so you're making under two grand a month at that point. Oh yeah. And the only way I was able to afford it, like I had a good buddy of mine, um, shout out Robert. Um, he, uh, he, he <laughs> really crazy. Remember those cash for gold stores? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah. was, he was working that while it was booming. Like he made like probably like six figures a year at one point, like running like three stores. And then it kind of died down. He got out of it. And then on top of it, though, he got this inheritance from like his uh, grandmother who passed. So he was able to buy a house outright. And he did everything smart, paid off a car, bought a house. He's like, I'm done. So he let me live for him. I just had to pay the utilities, like my portion. So that's how I was able to afford to live. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to. Wow. That, that, I mean, I guess your dad was just really trying to teach you uh the humble beginnings well i think he pimped me out more than anything because <laughs> like i did so much when i was here which i mean ultimately paid off but yeah um yeah okay so off. so yeah i just wanted to get a little bit of the the income out there so then jumping forward again uh to when you started to really take off in, in the medical realm uh what was the first year you had where you felt like wow i just made a lot of money probably like probably six eight months into being a healthcare recruiter and you were how old then? Uh, let's see. Draw back. Like 23, 24? Nah, I was about 30. 30. Okay. 30. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was 30 years old. My wife had moved down. We we're living together at this point, probably like a, a few months 
into our house um, that we had. She was, uh, although my wife was a teacher, she was actually um, a head bartender for like a Buffalo Wild Wings and like a manager. So she was making quite good money then, but she decided she wanted to go back to teaching because that's what she went to school for. Um, but yeah, I was making where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like paying all my bills and have extra money. I'm like, and I don't need to order car parts or anything. I'm like, okay, cool. What do I do with this extra money? I'm just going to sit on it. So like, you know, vacation money or something. So Did you at that point start investing at all into like stocks or anything else? So I'll say this. I, I've always, you know, my dad was very, uh, I would say frugal is the least insulting way to say it, but, uh, fiscally responsible. Absolutely. So for myself, when I was in the military, I actually started an IRA when I was 20 years old That's and great. I've had it ever since. Um, it's not much. I put in a hundred dollars a month and I have other IRAs now and stuff, but I still have that one and it's exponentially grown. Yeah. Like you don't have to do anything with it. So, you know, one thing I would tell anyone out there listening about, um, saving money you never hear people complain about saving money. It's always the other way around. So if you have the ability to save money, it's worth it. And even if it's $100 a month or $50 a month, um, yeah, I, I think I started my Roth IRA, I don't know, probably at 22, no, probably like 23, 24. Uh, but I do wish I had known about that, you know, even a few years before because over time it really does add up and – it's never too early to start saving. And like we we're just saying, if, if it's even very little, by the time you're 40, 50 years old, you're going to look at that and be like, wow, that's what $50 a month looks like, you know? Yeah, you won't regret it. Yeah, say that. exactly. Do you do that through uh, Charles Schwab or Fidelity? or? So I got a buddy who I knew from skating back in the day. Um, he's actually a big time manager of those now. Uh, it's called Primerica. And it's their uh, aggressive growth IRA. Um, because you're younger, it justifies like going for these more aggressive accounts, um, which, you know, sometimes they would say stay away from. But it's got a portfolio and stuff. I get sent stuff through the mail and all that. And I check it every so often. It's one of those things, like, you don't touch till you're older anyways. So I just don't really worry about it. I just know it's getting taken out. It gets put in there, and I'm, like, setting up my future. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, where were we now with the, uh, the business? Oh, okay. So you're around 30 years old at this point. Do you still just have this one location you're running with your dad or are you guys opening up other locations? So I had left to go be a healthcare recruiter after I basically helped my dad like 2014 time, help him set up, um, his Mount Dora location. He had it up and running, he had full staff and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go do this healthcare recruiter thing because I just don't want to you know, do medicine anymore. I'm like, kind of like, you know, I don't see myself going to school. Truth be told, I could have probably gone back. I could have probably gone to medical school, you know, take my MCAT, do all that. And I just didn't want to. Yeah. I, I saw the, you know, the carrot dangling in front of me, if you will, in the sense of like, if I can make more money now, I can, you know, potentially marry my wife. So that was more my concern or motivation, I should say, was to uh, make money because I can make decent money and, you know, buy my wife a decent ring, you know, have our house and, you know, pay for a wedding. Yeah. And at this point you were, you said 30, 31. Mm -hmm. um, the, the income at that point was probably what, six figures a year, roughly, give or take. Just short of that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't quite at six figures, but I mean, I was getting closer to that. Yeah. So, and uh, money has never been a driving factor for me. It's nice to have money to do 
the things you want to do, but I always have lived within my limits of whatever that is. Yeah. So whether it was, you know, 25 grand or, you know, 250 grand, you know, you live well within that range. You should, you know, yeah. not taking out on a bunch of credit cards and crazy stuff like that. And that, you know, I think that that's great for people to hear too, because it goes to show that, you know, you had a slow and steady climb to success and, you don't have to live in poverty or struggle and be broke when you're making, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 a year. If you know how to manage your money, I think that's the biggest thing that people always have a misconception of is like, you know, this guy is making 300 grand a year, man, he must be living the best life ever. This guy's making 60 grand a year. He must be struggling, but there's many times where people that are making a lot of money do not know how to manage their money, and they end up being in a lot more debt and struggling compared to the other people, although from the outside, it might not look like it. You you could live a good quality life if you just know how to manage. And I could, I could actually speak to that. Absolutely true. Uh, personal story for me, I, I have, uh, won't say any names, but I have a provider or a doctor. He is one the highest paid doctor on my staff. And he struggles. Like I have a person who makes one fifth of what he makes and does just fine because they live within their means. Correct. You know, kind of like you're talking to the guy who will make 50 grand. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't take out a, you know, 27% interest loan on a Hellcat. Like that's not within the cards for you. Yeah. So like, you know, I always tell people nothing's more cool than like having a car paid off. Like even if it's a Civic, like who cares? Because if it gets you to point A to point B, they got all those hundreds of dollars, like $500, $600 extra a month, what you can do with that. 100%. Yeah, because people are just too short-sighted and want something now and, and want to be able to be flashy, but they don't think long-term at the end of the day. So, um, okay. So then let's keep pushing forward even more. At this point, you're 30 years old. You got married at what age? 31. 31. Okay. So now you're happily married. You're in a, a good position working uh, for your father's, uh, I guess we should probably also clarify what exactly it is in the medical realm that you guys do. It's Is it beauty and aesthetics work essentially? Well, that's more recently. Okay. Um, we, we're So our business name is Lake Regional Urgent Care. Um, we were actually the first urgent care founded in Lake County. Um, 20 years ago this month and uh, yeah we're a critical slash urgent care and we do uh, we treat anything from chest pains to broken bones to upper respiratory infections or even urinary tract infections oh okay so yeah I, I was totally off coming in here I thought this was more like uh, beauty procedures in terms of Botox and like well we have that arm as well too okay in here but um, we never formally opened it. Um, we opened it, but we never actually advertised it as much as we should have. So um, we still do those things, but we're, you know, it leaps and bounds over the urgent care side is, you know, takes Got over it. everything. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And uh, okay. So then at this stage, you now are running uh, one of these clinics on your own. At 30 years old or no, how? No, so I had left when I was like 29 to go work as a healthcare recruiter. So I'm completely void of this at this oh, point. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So okay. I'm a healthcare recruiter. And so I do that for about two, three years. And then basically, as I mentioned, we basically tripled the profits, our team there, like the branch manager 
everything. She had left because she was getting promoted too. So she went to Atlanta. Um, and I was working with my team and we were, we were doing it, but we were getting pressure from, um, my regional manager basically saying like recruit more, recruit more. And we're like, we're like, dude, we maxed out the territory. There's nothing else to do. And so they started threatening us with our jobs. And so I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't need that. Like yeah. I can go somewhere else. And so that's exactly what I did. I just said, you know, I basically took a pay cut to go help a doctor, um, run his practice, um, as a practice manager, because he didn't really know what he was doing. He had like his mother helping him and like, didn't really know how to like, run a business so I implemented a few things helped him out um and that was okay um you know it was it became a little more stressful when I had twins <laughs> you know because oh, okay. like when I took a pay cut at that point I was just like well I'm taking a pay cut but I'm not getting harassed every day and I'm getting to help someone and like you know and again same thing whether it was billing um doing allergy procedures or running the front of the house answering phones you know assisting a doctor mixing uh you know, uh, injections, whatever it was, I was able to do again, because kind of that's what I do. So I was doing that. And um, yeah, had my twins, it was super stressful. Um, You know, nobody really plans for twins. So are they identical? (laughs) They are identical. Yeah, it's awesome. Boy, girl, Uh, identical girls. And side note on that, we didn't expect them to be identical. Because when you have twins in the state of Florida, they like make you do these uh, high risk ultrasounds to make sure everything's okay. And they're really accurate. They're supposed to be like, they're like these million dollar machines. So every time we'd go in, one baby was bigger than the other one. Like, and before the final, uh, or the final ultrasound, they were like a pound apart. So we're like, Oh, there's no way they're identical. We're not really worried. Well, when they were delivered, same weight, same length, everything, respirations, everything was the same. So they're like, we're going to go test the placenta, see what comes of it. Well, it turns out my kids are like 99.9% identical. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was... Uh, Do they have similar names, too? No. Uh, oh, okay. Willow and Logan. Willow and Logan? Yeah, two I girls. See. I named Logan after my childhood best friend, Logan. Uh, he's an attorney somewhere in Manhattan. Good guy, though. Um, you know, and then Willow, my wife, liked, so we just named him that. Uh, very different personalities, I'll say that. So when once the twins were born, did that at any point motivate you to work even harder and push even further to to become more successful or absolutely i would say you know you talked earlier about motivations there's always different seasons of motivation and like different reasons like before it was just me and i have i still have my own motivations but they've really taken a backseat like i i think more what motivates me currently is how do i provide the best life for my children how do i take care of my wife and then my stuff comes, you know, third or tertiary to that. Like, because I also see the businesses that I now run as like a, a being, if you will, that I need to mold and take care of. So those all motivate me in different ways to just be better. Um, you know, from uh, when I go to the gym, I go to the gym five days a week. When I do that, I, I do it for myself, but I also think of setting an example for my children. Like, you know, my children can kind of already tell daddy doesn't look like the other parents (laughs) in some ways. Like, you know, some are in good shape. A lot are not, though. And that's just a that's more of a plague of America in general. Yeah, it's very sad. Hence why I have a job. You know, I don't think I'll ever be out of business because there's too many people that are out of shape. But um, did did uh, I, I definitely don't want to. I keep jumping around here, but 
I, I don't want to have too much car talk in the podcast only because we usually save that for the car video. But uh, did at that stage the McLaren even come into the picture? When did that happen? I'm really no. curious. So the McLaren was, um, well, we could kind of talk about it now. My dad had passed away. Yeah. And he passed away on my birthday, and I didn't celebrate. And so I bought it two months after that as a birthday gift to me. And okay. One thing, so at that point in my car career, I had a Civic, I had an A86, and I had a right-hand drive Evo. I got the Evo a few months after the twins were born. And from what I know, I'm the first person to import an Evo in Florida, uh, Gen 1 through 3 anyways. So um, I had those cars, and my dad always joked with me. He's like, your car should have air conditioning. And so I got this McLaren because I'm like, well, it's a supercar, and it has air conditioning, so we can leave me alone now, you know, about that. But um, I'd say this. My dad's death kind of accelerated some of those things, but some of those plans are always in the works, mm -hmm. like in the sense of I always envisioned having a workshop to store my cars, and I was working towards that. That happened a little faster. Um, the McLaren kind of popped up um, a few years prior. I was in Vegas, and I had rented a new NSX, and I was like, man, I'd really like to get a new NSX, and I was looking at them. And um, when I was uh, looking at, accurate nsx is i was reading articles about cars in that price range and at the tail end of one of these articles it says if you have the opportunity you really should look at this style mclaren um they're a little higher price but it it's such a good car and i'm like okay whatever so i, I thought about it a little bit kind of researched them and i ended up going through mclaren over lando i've never been to one of these dealerships because i just you know i don't the way you see me now is how I am all the time. So, like, I assume... Yeah, I have to I have to add, I do love how you, you really were, like, a Honda boy at heart and still are, but ultimately went from Honda and then, what, you said Evo yeah, a, to a yeah. McLaren. It's kind of a big jump. I feel like uh, usually the trajectory is, like, working your way up. You you went straight up to the top. Yeah, it, it was, it was kind of wild. And, like, I went to the dealership, and I'm, like, thinking, like, they're going to ask me to show, like, forms of income, which is going to be funny because I have it. But I was just, like, I'm just waiting for some kind of weird douchey thing, like, oh, you can't afford to stick a price or this, that, or whatever, you know, or, like, they're going to try to show you a different car because, like, they don't think you can afford it. Right. That wasn't the case at all. They were super nice. Like, they like, drove the car around, like, here are the keys, let's go for a ride. That's awesome, because you hear a lot of stories when it comes to exotic dealerships where they're not even looking at people because they think they're not here to be serious, you know? Oh, yeah, and th that was my concern, too, because, again, I'm like, I'm like, do I dress a certain way? Do right, I right, right. talk a certain way? And I'm like, you know what, F that. I'm going to be who I'm going to be because, like, at the end of the day, I still love cars, and if I like the car, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. So we went for the drive, though, and I could tell you, yeah, it's definitely a better car. Like, I took a few of my friends for a ride, and they're just like, yeah, this is definitely better than <laughs> and the you know the newer NSX, just the handling, different stuff. And so that model I picked, it's a 650S, 2015. It had the second lowest mileage. There was one that had, like, 300 miles on it, but they wanted, like, insane amount. This one had less than seven when I got it, and so I was just like, and it drove nice, and added bonus i guess for some people i'm not a huge convertible person it's a hard top spider it's very nice though at first i, th I didn't realize it was a spider but i've learned to like it my wife appreciates it so happy and seen i'm personally not a huge fan of convertibles but a hard top always gets a pass with me i feel like hard top convertibles regardless of what car they definitely still look good you know i just can't do soft tops i oh yeah i I'm don't know there. i feel like it ruins the car um 
Yeah, the car is gorgeous. I can't wait till uh, we hop in oh, and yeah. take it for a drive. It's rad. So you were how old then when you bought that McLaren? I was uh, let's see, 36. 36. And I'm 38 now. Yeah. 38 now. Okay, so you've owned it two years. Yep. So you're 36. You, you buy the McLaren. At this point, you have two locations or three locations open already? I have the – this one wasn't – we were temporarily closed because of COVID and stuff, and I wasn't even – authorized through the state to run it so we weren't open yet with this one but i had the two up and going which in the middle of you know that going with covid it was pretty wild because we were still seeing we were at one point rivaling what the local hospitals were doing like if they were seeing 90 covid patients we were seeing 70 like you know keep in mind their staff is much larger than ours like we as a company we have about 22 employees we service twenty five thousand patients a year i always say we're small but mighty yeah that's wild and i'm always looking to hire more that being said if you're RN, LPN, BMO, or otherwise known as X-Ray Tech, call me. <laughs> there you go. I'll leave the link for his uh, website. Yeah, please. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, the fact that 22 people can handle that many patients is pretty spectacular, I'd say. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, even times when they get backed up, I still hop in and see patients. I will bring them back. I will do their vitals. I will start tests if I'm able to. Like, for example, sometimes they're just coming for a UTI. That's literally just drops on the thing. You run the machine. You put print out the results because I know the whole system. So I'm able to basically fully check in the patient to get them doctor ready. And so if I'm able to assist, like, again, I help out where I can because it only makes us better as a business. Yeah. Now, with the aesthetics side of things, since you gave me a tour earlier of, of the uh, the center and you have the tattoo removal machine and you have all of those other, uh, I forget. Liposuction. Yeah, I forget what they're know, all called. Urinary incontinence, all this stuff. Is yeah. that something that you're going to be jumping into now in the near future? To Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, um, I, it's still always a work in progress with some of this stuff. Like, some people just want to run in and do a bunch of stuff, which is fine. But there's the safety aspect of it as well. Right. And just, you know, making sure... Um, we're billing correctly, doing what we need to do, have the adequate staff. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rules. Like, for example, with the lasers, every single one of them, you have to have an MD, at least in the building, if not operating them. So it's finding someone, you know, because a lot of these doctors, they just want, um, they want to either buy your machines or not really pay you to use them. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not really <laughs> all about that. But we're working out a system. It's going to be more like a, an equipment company where I basically have a rental room rate and I charge a percentage because, you know, basically what we'd be doing is funneling in patients from the urgent care side who want to do this stuff. It's not a lot, but there's definitely a small percentage and some people who don't even go to the urgent care that like this stuff. So we definitely, you know, if it's something we can offer and we can do, we're absolutely going to do it. And so what is your your end goal now in terms of, either revenue or scaling the business? I mean, are you trying to then just keep pushing, opening more centers and hiring more uh, employees and and trying to just grow as big as possible? Or is that not even something you care to do? I don't look at it that way. I I would say this, like, so with me owning the business the way I do now, it's definitely a build back and we're building back, like, to be better. But it's a lot different now than from when we first opened. The market is absolutely saturated. Like, literally 10 minutes either way, there's, like, an urgent care. They're not yeah. really good, but, yeah. I mean, they're there, you know. So, it's different now than it was before. So, I wouldn't say it's, like, my goal now is um, to let people know of all the services we offer more than anything. Just becoming, have more, um, 
weapons to the armory, if you will. Yeah. Like, you know, we're doing um, hormone replacement therapy. We've been doing that for since we opened, 20 years. Um, you know, we do a lot of uh, law enforcement different stuff. I have uh, commercials coming out. I'm working with uh, some people who do some media stuff for me to push that more to let people know because there's definitely a use for that. And I'll, I'll say this, like, it's not always just about looking jacked. A lot of people just can't get erections, so they need testosterone. That's like a majority of it. Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't yeah. know that, but that's kind of the reality of it sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, we do it for guys and girls too. So we got that going and we do a lot of PRP injections. Uh, we do a lot of different services. So I want those to pump up more because we're capable of handling that. And most places aren't offering those services. Do you find that keeping those services within the urgent care makes more sense or it would it make more sense to have a separate uh building for that so i'll say this i i would love if they all came here because i definitely believe the people who are into the hormone replacement therapy are definitely into aesthetics mm -hmm. there's a niche for that but you also have to take what i call the mcdonald's approach and what that is is let's say five minutes from your house is a mcdonald's but 20 minutes from your house is a really nice organic restaurant where they cook the food. They actually have recipes. People make it, and it's healthy. Most people will still go to McDonald's because it's closer. Mm. So that's kind of the thought I have with going to the urgent care. They're familiar with the urgent care. They know it there. My staff's able to do it there. So they will go there because enough. also it's kind of like a one-stop shop. I was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah you could kind yeah. of get everything there. So, I mean, we'll, you know, the nice thing with the offices is – whatever procedure you do in one, you can basically do in the other. So it is interchangeable like that. Yeah. But what I find with people is they just like to go where they're comfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. And then in terms of income, is there a specific number you always strive to hit or are you looking to hit a, a bigger number? I mean, I'm just really curious how all of that looks for you. So you talked earlier about kind of growing. One thing I have yeah. on the side is I own real estate. So I have seven rentals. Um, okay. One of my rentals is an Airbnb. It pretty much, it's on the beach. It pretty much outpaces all my other local rentals I have where families are just living in them. So, Do you um, manage that or you have someone else that manages that for you? It, it's kind of a hybrid. So I have someone who manages the scheduling part of it okay. where they put it on to like eight different websites and they have a program. So if someone books it on one, it takes it off the other. So they handle the booking side of it, but I handle um, everything else. Okay. Um, I It's about two hours away from here. It's in Cape Canaveral. So I go out there once a month, inspect it. Uh, it's self-run, though. I have a cleaning crew. I have a cleaning closet. I will refill supplies. I'll even send them to the cleaning crew through, like, Amazon. Like, I do a lot with the place. Like, it's a nice, uh, like, luxury condominium on the beach. So uh, basically, like, it, I put out little toiletries for them. Um, um, was always constantly upgrading the furniture. Like I just put a new leather couch downstairs. Like I pull money from it when I need to, but I really try not to touch it and kind of same with the rentals. I don't really try to touch as much as that, but I definitely am into growing that because there's always a need for realty and rentals. And this area is still somewhat cheap compared to others. So I could buy a house relatively cheaper than any other area. Yeah. And basically keep it rented out. Like most of my renters, I've had them for years which That's is kind awesome. of unheard of. And I don't really raise the price on them or anything. Like, give an example. Most of the rentals I have can probably grow, uh, be charged at least $2,000. I don't, two of them, they pay me 1800 The other ones I'm charging like 1500 So I, oh, I know. Nice landlord. Yeah, I, I know I'm potentially losing money, but my thought is I'd rather keep the renters happy, make the money I'm making, 
and just keep growing that so way. So did you inherit these properties or were these rentals that you started building up over the years of working for your dad? So the local ones I inherited. Okay. The beach one was mine. Okay. And I really wanted to do the Airbnb thing, which is right. Uh, I mean, proven to be right. Yeah. I would like to do more of those, but there's a thing with like market saturation with those like, and then also depending on where you buy homeowners association, things like that yeah. really affect what they call the short-term rental market. So I'm a little hesitant there. Um, but yeah, the other ones I've uh, inherited that's from great. Uh, my dad, which is awesome. Yeah, that's um, great. You know, and he's smart for doing that too. I mean, real estate's yeah. king. Anyone I talk to on this podcast is somewhat involved in real estate. Oh yeah. And my dad's philosophy is insane, but it works. So like what he does or he did is he'd buy like these big houses, then he'd sell them because he think the market was going to burst. Then he literally wouldn't put it in a stock, wouldn't do anything. He'd just sit on it for like five years. And then wait, the cash. Yeah, yeah. And just wait for the market, the tank, and then buy like three to four houses with what he had sitting there. So like he goes to the bank and be like, hey, I'll give you this much. And kind of like sometimes they tell him no, but he kept coming back or like would say, hey, I see you still haven't sold it. You still think about I'm shocked power. he managed to time it properly. He just knew like that's, uh, you know, it's hard to say like, you know, because just talking to you in a podcast and yeah. I had people that are corroborated. I, I've worked with a lot of doctors. I've worked with a lot of class of people. Anyone who would tell, who's met my father would tell you he was one of the smartest people ever. And I have to agree. I, I would purposely look on Google or things to prove him wrong and I couldn't. The guy just knew, like, he's one of these people he could open a book and absorb what he read. Like, I've never seen anything like it. So, yeah. I it sounded I, like a good guy. It, it was cool. Like, yeah. you know, I learned a lot of good traits from him. Um, yeah. You know, just things like that. Like, because he'd be like, I, I remember before he passed, I'm like, so you sold this house. What are you going to do? And I, I kind of said to him, I'm like, let me guess. You're going to sit on it for five years, wait, and then buy like five more. He's like, you know it. That's awesome. <laughs> I was just like, okay. Like, I mean, it worked for him. So he was like, well, might as well keep it going, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the the end goal now at this point, you know, obviously you're established, you're doing well. You do not, just to clarify, you do not have a set number of uh, for income or revenue in mind that you're trying to achieve. You don't really get motivated by that? No, I'll tell you this. So within my company, like the urgent care setting, I'm like the seventh from the top paid employee. Like all my doctors and even one of my nurses makes more than me. I don't need to draw money from that. Um, I take the approach of um, like I can pull bonuses if I want. Like, for example, right now I'm working on this COVID tax credit, which is potentially worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I may pull like a 5% commission for installing that because I brought in all this revenue to the company potentially. Yeah. Um, but I don't really have a set number. It's more or less, um, just are my bills paid? Um, am I putting away money for the future through like a 401k? Uh, just things like that. I mean, always nice to have more money, but that's not what drives me. I mean, I, I just look, I, I kind of have this philosophy of, I do check the numbers and I look yeah. at everything in which we are profitable. Absolutely. Um, but the way I look at that is um, we're more profitable because what we do is working and that profit allows me to do more with the company. For example, I'm going to be implementing newer digital x-ray machines. I need to give some of the staff raises, things to continue to make us profitable because my end goal is, um, you know, my dad died doing what he loved. He, you know, passed away from COVID and, um, you know, he didn't get to live out his golden years, if you will. So for me, my dad always told me he's like, do what you love. 
Like, do what you want to do. Yeah, because I want to clarify, you told me your dad was only 58, correct? Correct. Yeah, so very young. Yeah, and, you know, he had a lot of life. I wouldn't even say it was at the tail end of his life. Like, I showed you a picture of him. He was yeah. not your average 58-year-old. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was just in- incredible at everything he did. So, um, you know, for me, hearing him say that, I definitely have the intention of selling the company sometime probably in the next eight years. And I've consulted with uh, the bank and business attorneys and what that looks like. And it's basically something called private equity firms. And they kind of explained it. I'm not there yet. But one thing I, I do know about selling businesses, your book should absolutely be correct. So first thing I did when I took over all this, I got a proper bookkeeper, um, worked with the CPA, did, did all that. And so this way, when I do sell, I know exactly what I'm going to ask for because I can generate it. Because one thing I've seen with businesses is they don't have their books in order. So and when they go to decide to sell, they get a lower asking price or not what they think it's worth because they aren't paying attention. Yep, I've heard that many times. So that's the end goal for me is to sell it and then just focus more on realty and things like that. You know, some of they say in high school is like, if you won the lotto, what would you do? I would work out twice a day and race cars. That's not really a career though. So that's why I want to do that in my 40s. You and I are the same person then because that sounds like exactly what I would do. Yeah, I would just ra- like tinker on cars and like work, like, you know, do cardio and like lifting session. Like, yeah. Yeah, so like I know that's not a career. And so like that's what drives me is like keep building a company, make it this shiny, you know, item. And then. And so. you want to know something? I have to give you props because as you know, this is the What Drives You series. And without me even asking, which I always do ask at the end of the podcast, what drives you? You've just literally answered it on your own perfectly. So well done. And, you know, I have to say just from speaking to you, you know, the the hour, I can tell you're a very, very humble, genuine guy who, you know, was fortunate to be put in a position of, of a business that your dad, you know, ultimately built up. But you've definitely taken it to that next level on your own through your hard work and dedication. And the fact that you now have a plan in effect where because of that hard work, you're going to be able to then enjoy your life with your family and live out, you know, your passions and everything, uh, I think is is beautiful. Because there's many people that, you know, I've witnessed being handed money or businesses or whatever it may be, you know, wealth ultimately, and completely butcher it and lose it all because just because you grow up with money does not mean by any means you're going to live out the rest of your life with money. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, keep, keep doing what you're doing. I think that's incredible. And I I feel like a lot of people could definitely learn from just your outlook and approach to money. Isn't everything. And you can still live a really, really awesome life without money being the main motivator, you know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I've talked to a few people like that go to the gym with me, ask me stuff. And some of them actually listen to what I said. Like, because like also when I was working as a, when I was needed more money and I was a practice manager, I was like doing yard work to get extra money just to have extra money. Because, you know, just in today's day, I have identical twins to put them in daycare with me and my both working. It was close to 20 grand a year. That's just daycare. So I'm waiting for kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody can prepare you for that. I mean, it is what it is. And we've, figured it out but yeah i mean i was always doing stuff so i have people who work in different like phone sales or different stuff and i said dude go be an uber driver go make uh go be a bartender and one guy's like dude i'm a bartender i make like five grand so far in a month i'm putting it away i'm like good keep saving yeah and invest into something whether it's property rentals whatever yeah yeah 
Absolutely. Um, I think we're going to wrap up this podcast. We've just hit an hour. I think my camera's going to die any second. Cool. Uh, before we call it, was there anything you wanted to plug? Uh, obviously, I'm going to go ahead and put the website in the description so anyone that c- uh, wants to can apply. But is there any Instagram or anything? No, just uh, LRUC Health is our Instagram. It's not very popular, but we'll work on that. Um, Lake Regional Urgent Care. Um, and our website is LRUCHealth.com. That's it. Check Beautiful. us out. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Um, great podcast. And now we get to go to the very exciting part, which is film the video with your McLaren. So guys, make sure to tune into that as well. Um, thank you for tuning in. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, do the duties. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome.